We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we're your ambassadors. We pray today that we would no longer look at people through a worldly view, but we would look at people through the eyes of eternity. We pray, God, that today, Lord, you'd be able to strip down scales from our eyes. We pray that we'd be able to see people the way you see them and have the compassion that you have for them. And we pray that we'd be good ambassadors for you. Change us today, Lord, in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. If you watch the news uh, more than once a year, you realize that uh, I call it the fix. The fix is in. The fix is in. If you watch the news, it is an anxiety-ridden experience. It's, It's one of those things where you're watching... And it's almost like the people on the news are trying to get you to hate somebody else. You ever experienced that? The reality of what's happening on your TV is that there's two people, maybe four or six or however many the panel is at the time. But there's people on your TV screen. Half of them have one point of view. Half of them have another point of view. And they argue like they could kill each other when they leave. And then what happens is while we're watching it, we agree with one side or the other. Amen? Stop that independent stuff. You're not independent. You hate people just like everybody else. <laughs> so it's like we, we end up siding with people, right? Like, well, this guy's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we're watching is, is what it looks like is there's two people on there that genuinely don't like each other. The fix is in in the sense that after they're done getting paid for that performance... They go to dinner together. They don't hate each other. It's a show, a lot of it. And they're paying, they're getting paid to perform well. Now, if I wanted a viewpoint of this person, a viewpoint of that person, and you came on my show and agreed, nobody's going to watch. But if I can get you to fight, If Satan can get us to fight each other, he doesn't have to fight us. You realize that? Realize that if 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 we can get into a place where we fight each other, then then nobody else has to get punched. I can sit back and watch two people fight and not get hit. And that's the way Satan works oftentimes. He comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. And if and if we can he can set it up to where we do that to each other, then he doesn't have to expend a lot of energy. So our culture is already turned, but it is moving farther in a rapid pace of segregating us all according to what we look like, how we talk, where we live, our political views, our our views on this subject or that subject. And it's actually not getting better. It's getting worse. 
if you believe a certain thing, I can't associate with you anymore. Amen? And so, as a church, there are all kinds of people that want us to, um, I've gotten phone calls for, well, you know, you don't preach on that, or you don't preach on this, or you should come down hard on this, or you should come down hard on that. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just like you, I have an opinion about everything. By the way, it's free to have an opinion. It can cost you when you say it out loud. Some people have mortgaged their lives on opinions when we should have kept our mouth shut. So what happens with me is, is I'm, I'm trying to reach a broad demographic of people. I don't care what you look like, what you believe. I just don't care. Because... I'm trying not to look at you through a worldly point of view. Paul said there was a time where he looked at people through a worldly point of view. He said, I even looked at Christ that way. He said, I was willing to segregate people on their viewpoints, on their skin color, on their religious preference. I was, I was able to do it extremely well. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that his name used to be Saul of Tarsus and that he was a persecutor of the church. He was a, he, he, on, his, on his own, he would go and get letters of approval so he could go and persecute the church. He was, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He was, he was there giving his approval. And so he, he says, I remember when I used to look at people like this. I remember it was Jew or Gentile. I remember, I remember you were either like me or you weren't like me. I remember you either believed like me or you didn't. And if you didn't, I didn't associate with you then. Matter of fact, he would go so far as if you didn't line up with what he thought was right, then he would not just not only disassociate himself, he would then persecute you. And so, by his own admission, he said, I even looked at Jesus that way. Because who is this guy coming and ruining generations of good Jewish culture? By coming and saying he was sent from God. By coming and doing these miracles and, and, and doing miracles on the Sabbath. And doing all these things that were not supposed to be right at the time. So I'm looking at him through a worldly point of view. But he said, I don't do that anymore. You know, your perspective, how you look at people really matters. It does. Because I can very easily start to group people in big uniform blocks. Can't you? I'm so thankful Racine made the comment today, 98%. You know what 98% is in most statistics? Everybody. 98% of the people are great people. But if a couple people do some crazy things, then I begin to look at everybody through a worldly point of view, right? If a couple people that look different than me do something, it's easy for me to lump them all in the same group. It's easy for me. The fascinating thing about Christ is there's nowhere in Scripture where he will say, where he will say I'm not coming to those people, or I didn't come for those people, or, or there's a group of people that I can't reach, or whosoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. So Paul, by his own admission, is saying, listen, there was a period of time where I looked at people differently. 
I looked at them through a worldly point of view. I looked at them from what they believe. I looked at them from, from, from what, how they looked and, and, and were they Jewish, were they not Jewish. I, I categorized everybody. And then my association with them was based on those categorizations. My association was based on whether they look like me or not. My association was based on whether they believe like me or not. But something happened to Paul. Something happened to Saul before his name was changed to Paul. But I want to, uh, before I get into his story, I want to read you another illustration of this. I think, it's a, I think it's a good one. I've used a scripture for Luke chapter 10, verse 25. There's an expert in the law that stood up to test Jesus. Aren't you, don't you find irony in the Bible everywhere? John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Talking about Jesus. Now an expert in the law is coming to test the one who is the law. (laughs) Oh, how naive we are when we question God. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Could you imagine? Man, I know what I'm talking about. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Now what we're going to find out is that reconciliation happens because God came to us, not because we came to God. So that's important. So this guy's trying to reverse the process. He's not trying to be justified by faith in Christ. He's trying to justify himself. So he wants to take a step towards God. Okay, tell me what I got to do to make myself right. And Jesus says, oh, you want to play that game, huh? You want to play the self-justification game. All right, we'll play along. We'll play along. Hey, follow me down this road. Let me tell you a story. So he says, who is my neighbor? So he wants to make sure he's treating the right people the right way. Who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Two of the highest ranking people in Jewish culture went, mm, uh, no thanks, I'm going to go by on the other side. They, they bypassed their own people. Now watch what happens. But a Samaritan, you got to remember, they didn't, there, there was not, that's why it was so, so scandalous when Jesus went to the woman at the well. He said, I got to go this way to the woman. At the, I got to meet somebody in this area and I've got to do it. It was scandalous. Why would you go through there? Samaritan could segregate a whole group of people. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Can you imagine a teacher of law as soon as Jesus said Samaritan? He was like, oh, are you kidding? Really? Listen to the extent this guy went. He came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And there he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Not only did he pay the guy's night there, he said, however long he has to say, I'll come back and pay for it. Well, that's over and above, isn't it? 
So here's a setup. If you want to justify yourself, Jesus says, here's, what, here's, here's the deal. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied. Now watch very carefully. He does not say Samaritan. He won't even let the words come out of his mouth. He says, the one who had mercy. No, I think he said it like this. The one who had mercy on him. Are we done here? I think that's the way he said it. You know what? Jesus knew the bigotry in that guy's heart and went right at it. And he said, hey, listen. Listen. The Samaritan man is the one who took care of him. Now watch this. I've, I've told the, the twist on this story that I, I see before. Can you imagine being the Jewish guy laying in the ditch and a Samaritan walking up to you to help? You'd be like, I don't need any help. I'm good. It was only one leg. I didn't need it. I'll just drag myself into town. I don't need, I don't need your help. Can you imagine the absolute irony of the Jewish guy laying in the ditch looking up going, are you kidding, God? The only guy that will stop is a Samaritan. The only guy that will stop and help is a Samaritan. Now, let's go back to Saul of Tarsus' story. Here, Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. He is going after him with every ounce of fiber he has. He's putting all his energy into it. He's like, hey, listen, give me some letters, give me some authority, and I'll go after these guys as hard as I can go. And he's on the road to Damascus, and the Bible says that he's blinded by a great light, and Jesus talks to him. Jesus talks to him. And he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch this. Jesus sends Saul of Tarsus to a guy named Ananias, who is a believer. (laughs) The Bible says that Saul is now blind and can't see. So they guide him by the hand into, and God speaks to Ananias first. He says, listen, I'm bringing Saul of Tarsus. And he goes, whoa. I mean, I'm all about doing what you've called me to do, but that guy's a persecutor of people like me. He says, I know, but I got a plan for him. I'm bringing him to you. I need you to lay hands on him. And I need you to pray for him. They lead Saul of Tarsus in. He goes to Ananias' house. Ananias says, hey, listen, God, talk to me. The Christian who Saul of Tarsus was persecuting but is now blind, God uses to lay hands on him and, re- and, re- and revive his sight. It says like scales fell off of his eyes. The Bible is full of irony. The Jewish guy's laying in a ditch and the Samaritan helps. Saul of Tarsus gets blinded and a Christian lays his hands on him. Now watch this. My prayer for you is that you don't have to be blinded to see people different. My prayer for you is that it doesn't take some drastic, life-changing experience like, well, I was in a car accident, and this person came and helped me, and I never, I thought all those people were evil. I'm praying it never happens like that. I'm praying that you could sit in a church service and hear scripture expand it and go, oh, wait a second, I've been categorizing people. I've been looking at them in a worldly way, and I can't do that anymore. We don't, I'm praying to God, God, don't, don't make me have to be blinded to see people the way you see them. Saul says, I used to look at people like that. 
Paul later on writing Corinthians says, I used to look at people like that. I used to look at them in a worldly point of view. I even looked at Jesus like that. I said, man, he's not a good Jew. There's not, like, we got to get rid of these people. But he said, now I've realized, I've realized this. I realized that God came to us first with this ministry of reconciliation. Now, reconciliation means like the, the, like bringing back friendly relations. Or I've heard it said, the end of hostilities. Look at your spouse right now if you're married and say, hey, listen, I think it's, we end hostilities. Just look at him. The end of hostilities. So this is a really important thing to get a hold of right now, right? Paul said that God came to us first. Say it out loud. He came to us first. Say it. He came to us first. It's extremely important not to get that out of order. Because if you get that out of order, then it becomes your idea to go to God. And that's what the, that's what the teacher of the law was trying to figure out. How can I get to God? Tell me what I got to do. And Jesus said, man, it ain't like that. God came to you first. So you have to get the order correct. So you have to understand that the way we see people is important, but then in order to really minister to people, we have to get the order correct. So God comes to us. Paul says, He didn't count our sins against us. You should be clapping about that. Amen? Because I did some things yesterday, man. Can we just be honest? (laughs) He didn't count our sins against us, but he sent Jesus. Racine said the first scripture he learned. Was John 3.16, most of you that memorize scripture, that's probably the first one you started with. Because I believe, as far as the whole Bible is concerned, that's probably one of the most important. For God so loved everyone. Not the people that look like me, talk like me, are from the same place as me, believe the same political beliefs as me, have the same values as me. It says he died for everyone. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So here's here's the order, though. God his ministry of reconciliation came to us first. We didn't end hostilities. He did. While we were sinners, while we were, were still enemies of God, the Bible says, while we were still hostile towards God, he went, I've got to fix, I'm the only one can fix this. And so while we were still sinning, while we were still actively sinning, he sent Christ to die for us. He sent Christ to die for us. So he did not count our sins against us. He sent Christ to die for us. Now when God looks down on us, he sees Christ. That's why we're not all just evaporated in a big cloud of vapor or whatever. He looks down and he holds his wrath back because he sees Christ on us. Wait a second. My sin was already paid for. Wait a second. Your sin was already paid for. It 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 was already paid for. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Believe on the one who already paid for it. What do I have to do to get there? What, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get there? What do I have to do? Believe on the one that already paid for it because the ministry of reconciliation means that love takes the first step. You can't get the order out of whack. You can't get the, you can't get the order wrong. Love always takes the first step. So what happens is if we, if we put the two together, if we put the way we look at people and we realize the ministry of reconciliation in the process, we have to understand that that I can't look at people through a worldly lens because it will keep me from making the first step. So if God made the first step to me, 
God did not look at me through a worldly lens. He did not hold my sins against me like everyone else did. Like my family, like my friends, like my coworkers, even at the church. It's terrible. Like, like, like what? That, that's what we do, right? So God did not look at me from a worldly perspective as somebody to put into a category about, well, he's part of those sinners. They're unredeemable. No, God looked at me through the eyes of grace and stepped towards me. So in order for me to step towards others, I have to quit looking at them through the eyes of the world. I have to not hold their sins against them. I have to be able to look at them through the eyes of eternity. Hey, I don't care what you look like, what you sound like, what you've done, what you're currently doing. Oh, man, I'm telling you, this is not a tough, this is not an easy sermon. How can I, how could I in any way step towards somebody that's done that? I don't know. You're going to have to ask the Savior. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm preaching to myself. I, I can't even do it every day. And I'm getting paid for it. <laughs> it's this thing in us. Paul said, I went through a transformation of being blind, having a Christian lay his hands on me, and the scales fall off. That transformed my life. I wanted to kill those people. And those same people that knew I wanted to kill them were willing to reach out their hands and lay on me and heal me. And now I'm realizing that they weren't looking at me through worldly eyes. They were looking at me through eternal eyes. And so the perspective of me changed. They didn't, have, they didn't hold my sin against me. I wonder what the likelihood of Ananias knowing that Saul of Tarsus was standing over a proven stoning of Stephen. I wonder what the likelihood of that was. Can you imagine the transformation in Saul of Tarsus' life to go, wait a second, I was looking at these people one way and they were looking back at me at different. I was looking at them through hate and they were looking at me through love. And if the world could experience that from the church, it would upend it overnight. It would throw it off axis overnight, all the evil and all the things. If the world could wake up tomorrow morning and the church just reaching out, trying to lay hands on people, saying, we're not going to hold it against you what you did yesterday. We're not going to hold it against you what you've done for the last hundred years. We're not going to hold it against you, but we're getting the order right. God stepped towards us, and we're going to step towards you. Amen? Now watch. So he says something at the end of the scripture that's super important. The band's going to come up. That's going to force me to quit. <laughs> he says something in this scripture that's important. He says this. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Through Christ, it gave us, gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins Against them. Okay, you got that. But then he adds to it. Then he adds to it this. He adds to it that now we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Wait a second. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And now we're ambassadors. Okay. So he... 
He reconciled us to him without us doing anything. And then he gave us the ministry of doing the same thing. And then Paul calls us ambassadors. And he says this, as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal through us. As if God were making his direct appeal through us. Now watch. I think being an ambassador would be really cool. Anybody else think that? You don't even have to have your own opinion about everything. You just go to another country, you probably get a nice car and a driver. Put you up in a sweet gig. I could be at a, I could be an ambassador in Paris. I think it would be awesome. Paris, London maybe. Somewhere nice. You get to go to all the dinners. And all you have to do is tell people what your boss thinks. Can I tell you this? An ambassador really doesn't have an opinion. An ambassador is going to share the point of view of the one sending them. So if you're an ambassador of the United States to another country, you're, you're not going, hey man, this dude back here is crazy. I don't know what's happening, but if it were me. No, no, no. You're coming and you're telling that country what your boss is wanting you to say. That's why it's called an ambassador. You're going and presenting the viewpoint of the one who sent you. So watch this. So, so Paul is saying the church is the ambassador of Christ. That we who have received reconciliation from God. He sent Jesus to die for us. Not in and of ourselves. But only on him and him alone. We believe we are saved through faith in Christ and him alone. We didn't move towards him. He moved first towards us. So now what happens is God saying, now you are going to go out as my representative to everyone else. So guess what I have to stop doing? I have to, I have to stop having an opinion whether you deserve it or not. Oh, man. Because some of you don't deserve salvation. I've talked to you. I mean, it's just, I know it. I mean, I talk with you five minutes. I'm like, God, really? Really? What are you going to save them for? You're going to murk up the whole thing. You're going to mess it all up. If they get saved, the church is going to be just a mess. God, why would you save that group of people? They've hated us for years. Why would you? Why, that person is actively trying to do harm to me. Why would you? But see, as an ambassador, I don't get to say that. Because love moved towards me first. And as an ambassador, then I got to carry out that same thing. So I don't get to prejudge whether you deserve anything. I don't get to prejudge whether you're right or wrong. All I can do is what he who sent me did. And it says that he did not count my sins against me. And so as an ambassador, I'm doing the same thing. Amen. Now watch. Now watch. We're talking about leadership here. As a church, as leaders in the church, we have to be the ones to step first. We have to be the ones to step first towards people. 
We have to be the ones that say, I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you did it to me. I don't care if I was on your hit list. I don't care if you were trying to get me. I don't care. I'm stepping towards you. We're removing hostilities so that you can experience grace. Now, can I make this really practical for a second? Really quick. When you leave here, start with the people around you first. Because if I can't reconcile to my 14-year-old son, how am I going to do it with people that don't look any like me? He looks just like me. He acts just like me. He acts just... Every time somebody walks up, they're like, man, he's your guts. I'm like, stop reminding me. So what God revealed to me through working with him Friday, Chris, step towards your kid. Step towards your wife. Step towards your family first. Step towards the people that look just like you. Because if you can't do that, how do you think far and wide is going to happen? How do you think if you can't step and reconcile with your your spouse, if you can't step towards your kids and reconcile with them, it doesn't matter. Don't hold their sins against them. Just remove hostilities. Let them know you love them. Let them know that grace is still there. Let them know that mercy is still there. And then it won't be hard to believe when we do it to people that don't look like us. Because they'll look at our families and they'll say, hey, listen. Once you're in the group, it don't matter what you look like, man. They don't hold it against you. They're they're removing all hostilities. So, Lord, we're praying today that you'd give us this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, we pray that as a church, we'd be able to remove all hostilities. Lord, we pray that we'd be able to see people the way you see them. And it's as simple as life and death, that it's as simple as accepting you and your gift of grace. Lord, we pray today that you do that work in us. Change us, Lord. Change us to to see people more like Christ saw them. We thank you for it this morning, and we give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Hey, why don't you give him praise this morning? You stand to your feet. Amen. You begin to work this out when you leave the building, and you don't hate me. You begin to work it out when you bump into somebody that you wouldn't ordinarily extend grace to. You work it out day after day after day, seeing people the way Christ sees them. Is either full of grace or not. I pray that as a church, we'd be able to lead like that. Amen. That no label would stick except son and daughter of Jesus. That no label would stick to anyone. And I believe that we can be countercultural and make a change. Amen. Let me pray for you one more time. Father, I pray for everyone here making a decision right now to do something different. Pray that you give them the courage. I pray that you give them the strength, God. I pray that when, the, when Satan rises up within them and tells them that, that they've been wronged and hurt, I pray that they'd be able to overcome it. I pray that they would be able to overcome the fear to extend love and grace and mercy to people that they might not ordinarily do that. I pray that your power would be available to them. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen.